This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. Here's your host, Corey Tusick. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. On today's episode, I talked to Dylan LeClaire. Uh, this is the second iteration of, uh, of this, of Dylan coming on the show um, and giving some on-chain analytics. Um, so if you haven't followed Dylan yet, um, but that's not many of you because he's got like 50,000 followers at this point, um, but he's uh, at Dylan LeClaire underscore on Twitter. Um, yeah, and uh, I don't know, we'll do this kind of semi-regularly uh, to uh, to see, uh, you know, if, it, I mean, I, I love talking to him and uh and getting some his insights you know and he's brilliant um so the knowledge he brings is great helps give you a feel for what's going on in the market um and and where the momentum is heading as we uh we all want the number to go up speaking of which um i'll put a twitter poll out on this but uh it's either super cringy the name i came up with but uh since it's the second iteration i said we should title it um and uh, i threw it out there to him and there you'll hear it but uh it, i'll uh, i'll put a, a poll out to say uh, what maybe the title should be and if not if it's what I came up with is super cringy because I'm like an old man now. Then uh, let me know. But uh, the sponsor for today is CoinBeast Connect. Do you have questions about Bitcoin? Personalize your learning and book a one-on-one video call with a Bitcoin pro on CoinBeast Connect. Learn about mining, security, the Lightning Network, DeFi, taxes, and many other topics. It's really easy. Choose your topic and pro. Select a date when you're available and bring your questions to the meeting room. Book your first call today by going to coinbeast.com and clicking on the connect tab. Be prepared for the financial revolution and get the knowledge you need. If you want to get in touch with me, Twitter handle is at Bitcoin Simply. My personal one is at Tusik Corey. And you can email me, email the show Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks. Oh, um, so first topic of business. And this might make me sound like a boomer compared to you. Um, Cause my wife was like, he, you're like a dinosaur compared to this kid. Like, she's like, you gotta realize like when you come up with ideas or something. Um, so if this is like, if we do this, you know, like multiple times, like more than once now, um, it should have a name for the segment. How lame is the name number go where with Dylan LeClaire? Is that like the cringiest, lamest thing ever? I mean, there's been worse things. <laughs> I'll take it as that's their polite way of saying that is brutal. Um, I mean, it's catchy, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I I I, uh, leave it. We'll leave it up to the audience and stuff. I I told my wife. I said, I said, what if we call it? You know, you could call it because each episode I have you know labeled like BMS and then the number of the episode. So it's like to stand out so people see you know market update or whatever. Um, Like, oh, maybe number go where with Dylan Leclaire, and she was like, yeah, (laughs) she. And I, I don't know. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll, we'll put it out there, see what people think. Um, it might be cell phoning. All right. Now, my second question, not Bitcoin related, is are you, we talked about hockey last time. Are you related to John LeClaire? No, but I get it a lot um, from the same state. So when I played, uh, you know, youth sports growing up and stuff and had the name on the back of the jersey, everyone was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but no, I'm not. I'm from like, you know, 30 minutes from where he was, uh, he played high school and whatnot. So, but I'm not related. Okay. Thank God. Because just a quick anecdote was in the, they were playing the flyers were playing the penguins in the playoffs and I went to the playoff game and I was a big like shit talker while playing hockey. Like my, I don't know what it is, get inside the boards and my mouth just would go. And, um, and I made a sign that said, vote for LeClaire number one overrated and went down during warmups and like 
pressed it against the glass and like he saw it when they came out and he like shook his head he like shot the puck off the glass at me and then like we went over to where they go into the runway and we like held it there and he punched it on the way out and (laughs) so it was like this funny like inside family thing and then um and then i'm sitting there after we talked last time and i was like oh crap i was like where's like where's john leclerc from and i looked it up and he's from vermont and i was like oh my god i was like could you imagine if this was like his dad or uncle or something <laughs> i mean maybe maybe like you know some third fourth cousin or something <laughs> small world over here i know i was just like real where i was like this guy like i legitimately harassed him during a, a sporting event when i was like 13 or 14 years old and and now <laughs> uh you know come come back to bite me all right uh so anyways, um, so I saw your article about the Golden Cross and, and what we're coming up on. I mean, what are you seeing in the market currently? Like, what are the trends? You know, the number we're, what, at 47, 48 right now. So where do you yeah, see us Yeah, I mean, so so the Golden Cross, um, I mean, to be honest, it's more of like a, a trading indicator and it's a lagging indicator. So Golden Cross is 50-day moving average, um, passes, breaks to the upside, uh, you know, passes the the 200 day moving average. So it's lagging, right? Um, but it, it basically just kind of shows momentum uh, in the market. And so like, we've seen it a couple of times in the last, the last time we saw it was like the last two times where I think like, uh, what was it? It was, you know, sometime last summer, uh, summer 2020. And then before that, it was like February of 2020. And, you know, we obviously had a huge crash. So um, there's other variables, right? Like the, the crash of 2020, um, that March crash was like a macro kind of, you know, liquidity crunch. Um, but, you know, it really just kind of shows that with that golden cross, um, you know, we bounced really, really hard off 30,000 um, from a couple months ago. Um, and basically what's driving the market right now is just spot supply dynamics. There's just a big supply squeeze, um, you know, and so it's just, you know, bounces on exchanges are at, are at um, you know, year to date lows, um, honestly, like three, three year lows, long term holder supplies at all time highs. You're just seeing this really massive accumulation, honestly, since uh, since the middle of 2021. Um, and, and these this accumulation is, has occurred through all of the volatility um, and it's just kind of been relentless. So, you know, we're seeing, you know, the, the day that uh, El Salvador legal tender was officially passed. Right. There's a huge, huge like crash from 52 to 44 or whatever it was, right? Uh, but that sort of stuff's like derivative driven, um, and there's still there will be dislocations like that to the upside and the downside. You know that's just how the free market works. But um, you know what we're seeing now is just um, more of the same. I mean, I, I sound like a broken record talking about the market the last few months, but like it's just supply crunch. There's just a lot of accumulation and. You know, eventually um, we will snap to the upside, and and we we've been kind of doing that for the last two months, and in, in more of a you know gr- like a kind of a grind up. So, um, and like you were saying before about like uh, you guys use the analogy of like keeping a beach ball underwater, which I think is so yeah good. Um, you know, at this point, so this basically you're seeing a bunch of spot buying, and and the amount of Bitcoin available for sale is just diminishing on exchanges is that what you know the 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 layman's terms like as simple as possible it's like there's you know 100 people want lemonade and there's only 10 glasses yeah i mean more or less um you know there's like there's i think right now um you know just looking at the on-chain stuff um and like especially when you're looking at like balance on like something like coinbase um 
you know, big, big institutional U.S. money is there. Um, you'll, you'll just kind of see like, like lockstep movements downwards and, and the exchange balances. It's not like, you know, it's not like, I mean, retail matters, right? And, you know, every $10 buy, you, you know, every Satoshi you take off the market and put into cold storage does matter. Um, but what really is driving the market right now is, is big money. Um, and I think just looking at like on-chain activity, you can see like retail really still isn't in this market. Like most, the, the, the mempool is essentially empty right now. There's not many transactions occurring. You can send Bitcoin for, you know, almost no cost right now, which, which shows me um, and, and some of the people like on-chain are talking about this, that like retail isn't here. Cause you, you know, during like retail bull market, you'll see, you'll see, uh, you know, pretty big spikes in, in on-chain activity and fees and, 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 you know, everybody's trying to transact and we're not really seeing that right now. What we're seeing is really an, I, I think an institutional buy and buy and hold. Um, and so, you know, you kind of see that with, with, you know, whale movements and all of that, but I think probably from the 30 K level, you see a lot of those guys like Dalio said yesterday, like, I mean, he, he prefaced it with governments could kill it if it gets too successful, but right. Dalio is like, I own some Bitcoin. Right. And like that, that's another one of those things. That's like, like Paul Tudor Jones last May, it's like a day before the halving. He's like, yeah, Bitcoin, great monetary inflation, uh, own some like that was a huge line in the sand for like these macro guys. Like, Oh wait, this thing's not just this speculative, you know, mania, like I, I need some. And so that's, I think that's kind of what we're seeing um, happen today is a lot of these macro guys that like, we're really interested at 60 K we're really interested in 2021, you know, this inflation narrative, money printer, go burr, all this stuff. Like, you know, looking at fed balance sheets, like, where do I go? How do I position myself? Bonds are giving me nothing. Um, they're starting to dabble in Bitcoin and that's one, 2%, 3%, 5%. Um, some of it's GBTC, but more and more increasingly. So like, you know, these guys want Bitcoin exposure. And so, um, I think that's what we're starting to see. And I think that's really gonna, you know, we're going to see the institutional announcements, um, that, Hey, I bought Bitcoin at, at 34,000. Once we like kind of get around that all time high, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to talk their book now, but you know, once it's two mm-hmm. X, then, then, then they'll announce it and they'll, they'll, they'll announce it proudly. Okay. Um, so basically that's, what you're seeing then is like large chunks of Bitcoin being taken off of exchanges, but you said it's not retail driven and, and uh, is the, is the mempool an, an indicator for like the, you know, the basically how many orders, you know, for people that don't know what that is. I mean, mempool is just the amount of transactions happening in a block. Right. And like waiting yeah, to the, happen. The, yeah. The mempool is just, just like the queue to get in uh, to get your transaction confirmed on the blockchain. So you know, there's a limited amount of space in, in every block that, occur, you know, that happens about every 10 minutes. And so there's basically a market for, for getting your transaction uh, into the next block. And so when there's a lot, you know, when there's a lot of transactions that are fighting or competing to get in this next block, um, there's a competitive fee market. And right now you can essentially send Bitcoin for the cheapest amount, uh, the lowest amount of fees possible. And you'll, you, you might get uh, confirmed, you might get in that next block right away. And so that's just saying, you know, that's showing me um, that, basically the the demand and, and the part of it is is you know some big exchanges implemented segwit um, over the past couple of months so segwit uh, was a soft fork that occurred in 2017 that essentially just made bitcoin more scalable it it, it was essentially a block size increase because it made every transaction uh, smaller in size just less less uh, data um, so that was a scaling solution another th- so that that has something to do with the mempool another thing is uh, following the, the kind of the, the China hash rate uh, exodus, 
there was a bunch of a bunch of machines migrated, difficulty adjusted lower, I think four straight times. And so we're kind of seeing that hash rate bounce back. And so when hash rate is outpacing difficulty, when hash rate, you know, when difficulty is expected to, to, to move, um, to adjust upwards, meaning blocks are coming in faster than 10 minutes, that also will have an effect on, on kind of, you know, uh, making the mempool, uh, you know, a lot, a lot like smaller, right. It'll transactions are, are confirming a lot faster or, you know, marginally faster than that 10 minute interval. And so that's an effect, but, you know, more or less it's, it's, you know, it's basically a ghost town. And so, um, you know, for the most part, we're just, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoiners in general are just, are just stacking and hodling, um, as well as the lightning network. I think that that has a marginal, uh, effect on the mempool, but not, not too significant as of now. Okay. So, um, but that is a, you, you'd say that's an indicator to see that retail has arrived. Like if, if you start to see it fill up and, um, you know, with, with, uh, the taproot, it might not be, um, the same, you know, might not be the same volume as before, but once we see that return, that might be the showing like, Oh, okay. Now FOMO's kicking in. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's definitely something to look out for. Um, I mean, you know, there's, there's definitely a large percentage of, of retail that'll come in and just buy on Coinbase or buy on, you know, exchange and, and not ever transact on chain. Um, but there is a reality that, you know, as new users come in, um, some will transact on the network um, as more countries adopt Bitcoin you know, El Salvador, a very small country, like 6 million people, they're also building out lightning infrastructure, but like, you know, demand for block space is going to increase. Um, and, you know, these big institutional buyers, like, like just for instance, like MicroStrategy, like Michael Saylor, when he buys 5,000 Bitcoin, I, I mean, I don't think he just straight up sends it in one batch, but, you know, he, he'll, they'll batch a transaction and send, you know, 50 UTXOs and then they never move again, ever, yeah. right? Like, yeah, so th- that, um, I mean, and hodling is using, make no mistake, but uh, that's not something that you'll you'll see uh, on the mempool. You know, like Paul Tudor Jones and Ray Dalio aren't aren't transacting on the Bitcoin network every single day. Um, more as you know, someone that that adopts Bitcoin as you know as as an as their actual money, right? Um, and so that that's occurring more and more uh, globally. Um, and we saw that really really pick up at the peak of 2017, uh, where fees were like 30% of the block reward. Uh, for miners. Um, and right now they're like, fees are like 1% of the block reward. So, um, you know, basically all minor revenue right now is from the block subsidy from that, from that, uh, issuance schedule where they're getting 6.25 Bitcoin every block. Um, but you know, that's something I'm just monitoring, but you know, one of many things. Um, okay. And what are some of the other things you pay attention to? Uh, what are some of the other big indicators that you look at? Yeah. So, I mean, I like to look at, um, you know, obviously the, the supply dynamics where it's like, um, you know, exchange balance, um, the liquid supply um, and like long-term holders. Um, so we've seen that just kind of basically long-term holders uh, supply, which is um, 155 day threshold of, of not having moved. And, and that's um, Glassnode chose that um, there's like a statistical reason. Uh, basically the, the longer UTXO is held, the less, uh, probability that it's moved in the future. Um, and that's, there's like a statistical relationship there. And so at 155 days, um, it's kind of crosses this threshold of, 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 you know, being very unlikely to be spent, um, soon. So they qualify, that's the long-term holder threshold, but regardless, uh, we've seen that just basically go vertical. Um, and so 155 days from now is like, I think it's like April 15th, um, 
which is literally the top. And so you've seen this massive amount of, of Bitcoiners, of, of, you know, hodlers, stackers that are continuing to accumulate regardless of a 60% pullback and a, you know, it's just, it's just up and to the right. And so that's one of the things that I'm, I'm definitely paying attention to. Um, the liquid supply, it's measured a little bit different, but it's kind of the same thing. It's uh, when, when, when you have an address or, or an entity rather, so um, clusters of addresses that um, can be identified as, you know, being held by the same uh, holder or the same individual, uh, the same entity. And that's, that's kind of done using like data heuristics and all of this. Um, but when they haven't spent any out of a wallet, it's classified as illiquid. Um, and so when, when they have spent um, out of, you know, an entity has moved some of their coins, there's you know, uh, liquid and then there's highly liquid. But what we're seeing like overall trend uh, throughout the history of Bitcoin is that a liquid supply is up and to the right. And especially since March of 2020, it's kind of hockey sticked up a little bit. Um, and so that's one of the kind of the major shifts that continues um, is that there's just kind of this relentless accumulation occurring. And there's, there's so many different ways to measure it. But, um, you know, those are a couple more. Um, another one I really like to look at is, is realized price. So when you're, when you, you have the, the Bitcoin price, or the, if you're talking about market cap, you have uh, all of the coins, 18.8 million times the price of Bitcoin. So the market cap is like, off the top of my head, is like 900 billion, right? Um, and so, but what realized price or realized market cap is, is it takes the price, the price of every coin when it was last moved. Um, so for instance, Satoshi's coins are worth zero in this calculation because they were acquired at zero. And so, um, and so the price of Bitcoin is 48,000, but the realized price is like 21,000. Um, and you see this, and when coins are changing hands, especially when old coins are being spent, you see this, this move up in a big way. And so we saw, and it's basically like, I wouldn't call it um, you know, fair value uh, because for the most part, throughout the, there's very few times where price is under realized price throughout the history of Bitcoin. And those have been like basically generational buying opportunities. But for the most part, uh, realized price is almost like this, like kind of floor for Bitcoin. It's like, you know, twenty-one thousand. That's the average price. Essentially, you can think of it as like the average price paid for Bitcoin um, for everyone uh, on the network. Um, and you know, it's basically the average wallet price of when it was last moved. And so, I like to watch the relationship between price and realized price because what you see, especially during these, these bull markets, is price gets bid massively at the margin where there's no one selling Bitcoin. Right? There's a supply squeeze. Um, and that can be, you know, because of new demand or because this having cuts the issuance and price gets bid like crazy, um, but realized price lags. And so you see like the ratio between the two, it kind of explodes, it like blows out. Um, and so market value to realized value like that, there's, there's a metric for it. Um, it kind of, you can see like every single bubble throughout the history of Bitcoin. It's like it, the, the, the ratio between the market price versus the realized price explodes. Um, and so I like just to kind of watch what realized price is doing because, when it's ticking up, um, while the price is consolidating, like it did the last, you know, when, when I was, the price realized price was ticking up actually while price was at like 30K. And so things like that are actually very encouraging um, because it kind of shows that, that the floor, um, you know, the average price paid per coin, um, you know, it's not, just, it's not just a few derivative traders or, or one or two players in the market that are bidding up the spot price and no one's actually you know, like the, the average price paid per coin isn't moving. Um, and so I like looking at realized price just because it kind of gives me a feel of, of, you know, if the market's really overheated or not. And, you know, everything kind of shows me now um, that, you know, we're, we're in a bull market, but it's, there, it's like still the early phases of it, or, you know, at least not, not the, the final stages of this, of this bull market. Okay. So, yeah. So the, 
as the realized price goes up, that's basically kind of setting the floor, um, like the ultimate floor that, you know, we're not going to get to. Has it ever gone down yeah, below I mean, the realized price? It has. So it did, uh, it did in, um, you know, in the last kind of legs of the, the bear market in 2018, 2019, um, realized price kind of stayed around 4,000. Um, it was basically flat. Like it was, it was 3000 at the top of 2017 when price was 20 K and then it kind of oscillated between three and 4,000, um, for like the next year or two as, as coins essentially traded the hands, and people sold at a loss and some people sold at a big gain. And then when it, there was kind of that 6K for a while and it, there was a huge capitulation down to 3,000, that it, it, it briefly dipped below realized price. And then um, there was a kind of consolidation at 3,000 and it went, and it, the summer of 2019, we you know, went, went back up to 12 um, and it kind of, you kind of bounced around this range until, until uh, the, late, the late months of 2020 when we broke out and made that run towards all-time highs. And that's when you saw just realized price hockey stick up um, and, you know, coins essentially it was just, there was a bunch of new money coming in um, and that new money was met with a bunch of um, old holders, essentially not cashing out, but coins were just trading hands. So realized mm -hmm. price, you know, there's the biggest influx of capital, essentially, you can think of it like that, the biggest influx of capital ever into this, into this market. Um, and so you know, now realized price is at 21K and it's slowly every single day, it's ticking up, you know, 50, 100, 150 bucks. Um, but I think, you know, coming, especially once you break this all time high, you're going to see some people take profits, but you're going to see this massive influx of capital. Um, and that's, you know, that's when I think realized price starts to start to chug up in, in a big way. Okay. So realized price might be the thing it chugs up first and then pushes the spot price up higher. Well, yeah. So like spot price, um, I mean, I, like realized price can move upwards, even if spot is consolidating if, if old holders are, are cashing out, but, um, what, what will really make realized price kind of hockey stick up. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of this floor, but it, it is possible to go under. Um, but for the most part, when you're thinking of realized price, it's like, you know, the average price paid per coin on the network. And so it doesn't go under that for a sustained period of time, usually throughout the history of Bitcoin. Um, but you know, I, I expect once the spot kind of gets bid up on the margin, um, you'll see you'll see realized price start to tick up. But it really ticks up when you know a bunch of bunch of coins trade hands. And so, you know, is that the top or near the top? Um, that's to be seen. But um, you know, that that kind of means when realized price is exploding upwards, it means a lot of coins are trading hands. And you can think of that as like a sell or an economic kind of sell. It doesn't have to be sending it to an exchange, but I could, you know, buy a house with my Bitcoin or something. And, and mm -hmm. someone else is, you know, taking that value in. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's just another one of the kind of the metrics I look at. I like to look at the relationship between the two, because if the, the, the ratio between market price to realized price blows out, that's very, that, that's basically kind of somewhat of a cop signal. Um, you know, and, and again, like I'm not, I'm not buying or selling in and out of this. Like I'm, my core position is to hodl. Um, but you know, I'm not leveraging the farm. Uh, if, <laughs> if, you know, if the, you know, realized price is 30 K and, and the Bitcoin price is, is 200 K because, you know, that means that essentially it's, you know, a lot the price is bit up at the margin and there's a lot of room for downside, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes me think, you know, um, like, uh, Whenever I when I had when I talked to Preston Pish about you know the price and you know where like we would see it come down on like the stock to flow in relation to stock to flow, we were like and he was like you know I mean it might you know if it shoots up to 250, 300, 
you know, but like, like I wouldn't be surprised if it comes down to like 60 and then bounces back up to a hundred, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. it's gonna, you know, that's why you, that's why you hodl. But, um, but to me, uh, the more I think about that, I'm like, I don't think we're going to know hyper Bitcoinization happened until a little bit after, not way after, like, we'll know, but like, you're not going to be, we're not going to be sitting there going like, this is it. This is the moment it's hyper Bitcoinization. Everybody, it's going to be like a wild six months. And then we're going to go, holy crap, we're there. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's kind of occurring like today where there's, you know, big announcements are just kind of normalized where it's like, oh, you know, like Laos, um, I might not be saying that right. Like Laos is, you know, communist nation in, in a, you know, Southern Asia, they're mining Bitcoin. <laughs> Their government's <laughs> mining Bitcoin with excess hydro, like, yep, just another nation state um, where like that's huge, right? El Salvador, like tiny country, whatever. But Bitcoin's essentially it's a global tax haven. Like, yeah. and so you know, what happens to the GDP over the next three, four years? Like, I don't know, but I expect it to, to, you know, to go up a lot. And, you know, it's kind of this, this, you know, welcome sign for entrepreneurs, like come build here, you know, run your digital business here. Right. Like, and, and pay no taxes with this pristine asset. Um, Capital can flow seamlessly into this nation. And so things like that are that are just like, you know, a public company's like, Hey, we're on a Bitcoin standard like a year ago, or, you know, they announced it last August. So, 13, 14 months ago, I would have been like, there's no way, you know, a nation state adopts Bitcoin as legal tender and a corporation is borrowing billions of dollars and saying our, our, our strategy is to sell software and to hodl Bitcoin. Like things like that are like, you know, the Overton windows like shifting like a yeah. lot. Um, and so I think one of the things that like for hyper Bitcoinization is that I think hash, hash rate um, and we're seeing, you know, a big global supply uh, chain kind of disruption because of COVID and a bunch of other things. But hash rate has to, you know, 100x, like maybe that's an exaggeration over the short term. But, um, you know, Bitcoin, if you think of it as like a commodity, um, sailors said a lot about digital energy. Um, and I, I somewhat agree, right? Like money is just a, a communication uh, mechanism of value. Um, but hash rate, if, if Bitcoin explodes and, you know, it's going to be extremely lucrative for miners, even like it is today. Um, but there's going to be a big lag, but, um, hash rate ultimately like Bitcoin is a commodity. And so, um, you know, hash rates going to, going to have to ratchet up, you know, there's, there's a, a huge economic incentive for it to, to probably go hundred X over the next five, five, 10 years. Um, as you know, there's this huge incentive to sell wasted energy resources. And so that's one of the things of like hyper Bitcoinization to me, it's like, yeah, you know, number go up. Um, but what's actually happening is uh, now we have this basically standardized unit of, of value um, in the form of a Satoshi um, that's, you know, directly, you know, one-to-one correlated with, with our energy, um, you know, production, right? And so um, I think that's one of the most exciting things for me with Bitcoin is like, you know, now we have like humanity's productivity and standard of living is like a derivative of our energy um, production and consumption. Right. And so with Bitcoin, like there's, there's now this, this, you know, one-to-one relationship that the rest of the world hasn't figured out yet. Um, that's where the opportunity lies, but I think hyper Bitcoinization, um, you know, one of the things is, is that, you know, hash rate, uh, and Bitcoin mining in general is going to touch so many industries and so many different things that we, we can't even fathom. Um, and that, that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, a uh, couple Last questions. Uh, so the 
so we talked about the golden cross but the i've heard people talk about the death cross before so it's a golden cross whenever you're going up you're the in the death cross is whenever the the what 50 day moving average goes below the 200 day yeah and these are yeah these are just momentum um and then like so the, the 50 day moving average 200 day moving average these are just kind of like trading signals um for like kind of i mean people use them in crypto or bitcoin but uh it's more like a legacy thing like is this asset what's the trend what's the momentum looking like um and so uh the death cross we saw that back in i think early may um and you know there's there's more downside but it's a lagging indicator. So, um, you know, I think, and especially with, with the golden cross, when you're thinking about Bitcoin um, and, and how the supply and demand dynamics work, like it's one of the most reflexive assets we've ever seen. Right. So like during a bull market, no one sells and that you've had massive accumulation since probably an 80% downturn or at some point a 50% downturn over the last couple of years, these people are convicted and they're not selling and they, and they know what they hold. And so you have a bunch of new money flood in and, and they are having to, you know, compete at, you're having to fight for a tiny amount of supply. And so when you're looking at a golden cross, it's basically saying like, it's basically showing your, your, the momentum is ticking up um, and we're going to see some, you know, reflexive, exciting price action um, over the next, you know, couple months or year or whatever it is. And that's not, you know, that's not a sure thing, um, but in general, the chart, uh, you know, the Bitcoin price is the biggest signal um, for what's unfolding here. Uh, and once you break all time highs, I, I expect the, the mania to, to fully kick in. So you're sitting there, you're you're rubbing your hands, you're you're ready for the uh, this yeah. to just go to uh, parabolic levels. That's why I feel like uh, it kind of feels like it's a basically like a, a rubber band that's just getting stretched and stretched and stretched. And then, or like the opposite would be like a spring, maybe just coiling, getting pressed down. And like, you know, they're like more institutions are like, Hey, get over here, get on this spring. So it doesn't explode yet because, you know, once they announce, I mean, it's going to be gone, you know, like it's, it's going through yeah. the roof. Um, yeah, so I'm not I mean, surprised they like, haven't heard. Who in the right mind is going to sell at 70,000, right? Like, like, you know, there, there's a lot of liquidity right now, you know, there's bids that are, that are, been left open or limit orders and you know all this stuff right like we we chopped around 50 60k for like three months um so there's going to be a little bit of resistance there um just from like a you know technical lens and again like i'm not i'm not looking at these charts and buying here and selling here right like i'm just stacking through it all um and depending on on you know pullbacks or you know if i see an opportunity like i'll leverage up a little bit or maybe speculate in some bitcoin derivative like a like a minor like a minor micro strategy or maybe some some call options but for the most part it's like just buy and hold spot send it to your cold storage and wait for the fireworks because you know we're going to break all-time highs in 2021 i'm i'm extremely confident in, in that and whatever that time frame is after like it's going to get wild um because everybody's eyes are going to be on this thing and it's going to be hot air above above 64k you know it's bitcoin and price discovery mode is is a fun is a fun time so that so you're saying uh you do you think we'll see a hundred K in 2021? And again, I mean, this so is not I mean, financial advice. Nobody's predicting anything. Just, you know, uh, curious what you're I mean, I, I am holding hundred K call options, which I bought at 30 K. And so those are, those are pretty good in the money. Um, I might sell them early, but, uh, I guess it really depends on the next month or two here. Um, you know, again, like Bitcoin trades unlike any other asset where like, you know, sitting at 49 K with, and we've, you know, been chopping around and, like 100k in you know three months that sounds crazy but like it's not 
because mm -hmm. of how Bitcoin trades. Like we we were at I don't even know when the all time high broke uh, in 2020, but like we opened the year at 29,000 and Christmas it was like 24,000, and then we were at 40k in like 30 days, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just madness. Um, and so you know I I fully expect that to happen again. Um, and just with the way this thing trades and with again like I think the announcements um, just and some of my kind of people I talk to in the industry, I haven't gotten direct, you know, inside information here, but um, they're telling me like, there's some big, big, big money that was buying at 30, 35, 40, and like, it's going to get wild. And so, you know, these are people I trust and, you know, not that I'm blindly trusting anything, but um, you know, I, I definitely put some weight into what they say. Um, you know, these guys are talking with the biggest, biggest guys in the, in the space and guys with big pockets. So you know, I, I fully, fully expect that to come. And, um, you know, the price action with it is going to be, is going to be exciting. Awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, just the last thing I saw your tweet about yeah. separating Bitcoin from crypto. Um, <laughs> and I like that. I like that sentiment because the last two people I interviewed was Ben Mesrick and then, um, and then, uh, I haven't released this one yet, but it's a uh, Jack Posobiec. Um, he's like, a a conservative commentator but he you know with like it's china intelligence all that kind of stuff and um and uh yeah so i just uh they mentioned crypto because they're not bitcoin but you know big in bitcoin so um i i just wanted to get that out there that i i really support that and i i hope uh we get to see more of that but uh thanks for coming on man i really appreciate it um and uh you know let's uh I look forward to doing this again and i uh, just let people know uh where they can you know check you out yeah. Um, my name is Dylan LeClaire. Um, you know, thanks for having me on. It was fun as always. Um, I mean, for the most part, I'm hanging out on Twitter. Um, you can find me at Dylan LeClaire, uh, underscore. Um, I work at Bitcoin magazine. Um, I do their, their, uh, markets, their, their premium market product. So, um, cover like on-chain analytics, global macro, uh, and derivative stuff. Um, just kind of putting the big picture together. We, we publish a daily newsletter. Um, so like 20, 20 pieces of content a month and that, a pretty in-depth like 30 page monthly report uh, at the end of every month so um you know check that out uh I just go to bitcoin magazine you'll you'll see it uh kind of one of their top top bars um it is paid but you know if you want to check it out you can use code bits uh b-i-t-s um and get like a, a free trial i'm not sure if it's a month or, or or longer than that but um you know or just hit me up over dms uh, if you want to check it out uh it's kind of a lot of the stuff we talked about today but we go more in depth and and, you know, it's visual, so you'll, you'll have the charts in front of you, which which are helpful. Yeah, and I'd say worth every penny. So, all right, man, Dylan, I'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, man. Thanks, Barry. Appreciate it, man.